I think that we've lost touch with the traditional values that built America, that made America great for so long, that made us the greatest country on earth. Our ability to have success and to invent and all these different things. This modern world wants to minimize and demonize those same values and traditions that this country was built off. Welcome to Pod Bless America. I'm Jim. And I'm Dan. And today we're getting back to the Constitution. And we're getting back to the Constitution with a frontline Constitution fighter. We got a fighter on the line. We got a fighter on the line. Today we're coming to you with Sheriff Mark Lamb from Pinal County, Arizona. Sheriff Lamb, you there? I am. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yes, sir. Listen, when you talk about constitutional sheriffs, I think Sheriff Lamb is probably on the top of that list. Not only does he look the part. Oh, my God. Yeah, (laughs) if you haven't seen a picture of this guy, well, actually, if you're following us on our Facebook page at Pod Bless America, you're going to see a picture of Sheriff Lamb. Sure. And there is absolutely no other sheriff in the country that fits the sheriff role better than Sheriff Lamb. No, no, and he's and he's all business and it's no bullshit. And, and I like I like what I'm seeing so far. The fact that he came in January one of 2017 means he got elected in 2016 when everyone was ready to turn a new leaf and try something different. And we're going to talk about it, but here's how you know Sheriff Lamb is on the right side. The liberal media is absolutely out to destroy him. Oh, no playing. matter what you read from the liberal media, it is about Sheriff Lamb just being too right. Too right. He's, he's an extremist, I tell you. So, Sheriff Lamb, welcome. Thank you. I got to bring you two on as my hype men all the time. Oh, dude, listen, man, we'll come. Right. We'll come. We don't even, right. listen, a, a bottle of Elijah Craig, man, and we're there. That's it. We don't even need expensive bourbon. So. Yeah, that's easy. And I'll tell you, you know, I know you're going to get into it, but you, hear, you, you see those haters, and one of the things they always try to knock me on is the fact that he's a constitutionalist. And I'm like, you mean... I honor the oath that not only I took, but every single politician in this country took the same oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I'm the guy that's wrong. Correct. I'm the guy yeah. that's doing it wrong. Well, like, but it's, it's, what, even, it's even further than that. It's further than that. We've been talking all this time about how they're trying to label people that believe strongly in the Constitution as an extremist. Like that, Now they're going to go hand in hand, yeah. which we're going to touch on later, but... We're just going to start with when you got in there. Well, and why? Why would you jump into this hot lava pit? Why would you jump into this knowing what was going to happen to you? And Pinal County, was it in shambles when you got in or was the guy doing okay before you? Like, why? So why? Because I love this country and I love freedom. Mm. Those are my why. My man. The county was in pretty good shape when I took over. It was we had some internal issues. I think a lot of the employees, the morale was low, budget was in a tough position. I thought the guy did a lot of great things, but it was time for a change. Okay, so and the guys are doing a great thing, but how about the administration? Because that's where it's from the top had, down. They had done some good things, but okay. they had also lost the they had lost the internal piece of it. They lost the employees, I think, because um, it took me. I, it was like a battered wife syndrome for us for the first few years, trying to overcome some of the things the previous administration had done. And look, I'm not a big believer in knocking people, and especially after you win the fight, I just don't think it's go- worth going back and trying to tear those guys down. Sure. I like to focus on the fact that they did a lot of great things, to be honest with you. He set a good um, he, he, he set a good platform for us and foundation in many things. There were some things that weren't good that we had to fix, and we did. Um, but I also, I always believe that, look, when I'm done being sheriff, 
I believe that somebody's going to hopefully come in and do it better than I did and take it to another level. I mean, I think that's progression. So I feel like we, we were able to come in and make some of the changes that needed to be made with the employees, get them raises. We got Stan had raises for 11 years and we finally were able to come in and get them raises. So we so, feel fortunate that we were able to come in and make some good changes. Where did you come from? What were you doing when you ran? So I never even thought about being a cop. I was one of those guys that would drive by cops and be like, man, freaking cops. Or, um, or if he's behind you, you're like, I'm not breaking the law, <laughs> but man, is he, is he going to pull me over? You know what? In yeah. fairness, I've been a policeman for 29 years and I drive by the cops like on the highway and I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get it, man. They get behind me. I'm yeah, like this guy. I, like as soon as they get behind me, I duck into Taco Bell. I'm like, oh, I don't need this <laughs> For trouble. No reason. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know. Well, I was. I just had never thought about being a cop. I was a businessman. I'd worked on a dairy, and I just never thought about it. At the time, I owned a pest control company, pigeon control. So I was pigeon proofing people's houses, and I had a decent business. I had five kids, my wife and my neighbor who worked on an Indian reservation near Mason, Tempe and Scottsdale. He said, Hey, do you want to come on a ride along? And I had been kind of putting them off. Finally, I just didn't have any more excuses. And so I was like, yeah, man, I'll go out and do it. So I went on the ride along. And that night, I remember one call we showed up to was a dad who had caught a 20 year old with his 14 year old daughter. And they got into a fist fight and the guy runs out the back and, and so if you've ever worked on a res, the, the reservation will have like, uh, it'll be a house and a lot of desert behind it. And then you might have an old abandoned travel trailer. Well, well, well we're, out there we're in Ohio. Here. So you're talking about Indian reservations, correct? Yeah. Okay. Indian reservations. Yeah. So I was, uh, I'm out there and armed with a flashlight and courage. That's it. I can't even believe they let me out of the car, but I'm out there with the deputies or the, the officers in the field looking for this guy. And I go to this travel trader and I look in there and I see a pile of trash and, and clothes. And underneath it, I see what I think is a quarter size of skin. And so I call these guys over. I was like, I think he's right in here. And so they go in there, drag him out, tase him. And man, I was hooked. I went home that morning and I said to my wife, I'm going to be a cop. Hell yeah. And within bug. six months, I was, I was in the academy. I was 34 years old going through the academy. But in many ways, honestly, it was a godsend because I was a husband. I had five kids. My idea of what needed to be done was very different than the young guys. All I wanted to do was work and provide. And, and I believe that the more you work, the quicker you master your craft. Right. And so I just started busting my butt to try to become the best I could be. But yeah, that's where I started. And when you were at the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office Deputy Academy, and you went in there, you said a 34-year-old? Yeah, so actually, I got hired by the Indian Reservation, the, uh, the Salt River. Team oh, yeah, yeah, but that's community. after the point I want to make that you were the valedictorian of the class, okay? Yeah. I was taken aback because what I'm about to say was kind of left off your Wikipedia page. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't know why, because these are very important statistics, okay? You were the valedictorian of your class because you're a smartass, okay? And I don't mean smartass like I'm a smartass. I mean, like, you got a brain. You're 100% right. You're 100% right? Then, then you were hired by the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community where you excelled and were named rookie of the year, right? Which is weird to me yeah. because being in Ohio, seriously, I'm not even joking right now. I always thought that the Indian communities, the reservations always hired Native Americans for their police. Well, they do. They tell you up front, they have a hiring preference. 
So tribal members first, sure. natives second, and then oh. anybody else after that. Right. And with the and okay. with the hiring shortage, I'm sure they'll take anybody that's good. So you're rookie of the year, right? Did Jim, uh, who got rookie of the year when you were when you were first year up in Ridgeville? <laughs> uh, listen, all I want to say is that I was the last patrolman of the quarter before they stopped doing it. So I am the reigning patrolman of the quarter for like 27 years. Okay. That's all, right. all I'm saying. Okay. So you weren't, you know what? So you weren't rookie of the year, but they gave it to officer Lee. You know what? Let me tell you something, Dan, you're welcome for my service. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So, so rookie of the year in your mid thirties reminds me of the show, the rookie that, that my wife and I watch about the yeah. cop that's in California. It's a really good show, but same thing. He brought, oh, yeah. he, he brought a little bit more life experience to, to the job instead of coming in as a greenhorn 21 year old. Right. So then you follow that up with becoming officer of the year. Like, was there only one of you there or were you competing? <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny is, is I, I started with 20 other guys as rookies. So 20 guys started when I did. And then the next year we had about 130 to 150 staff. So, you know, a little bit of competition. Right. And then, and then you go from there was any of this on Wiki? None of this was. I couldn't find any of this on Wiki. That's weird. No, you would think the purple hair guy that <laughs> you'd think the purple hair guy that made this Wiki entry would have put that in there. I think it's important, right? Because the because not only did you get Officer of the Year, right, being the old man in quotes <laughs> at thirty four, you were you were later promoted to Detective of the Gang Enforcement Unit. And in your first yeah. year, we're named Detective of the Year. Like, what kind of stud, <laughs> what kind of stud shit are you running? <laughs> you know, like I was, two years ago, a guy was, was like killing ants in your house. Now off. he's the Detective of the Year. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, that all left off your Wikipedia page. Bunch of dicks. <laughs> and what a lot of people don't know the is wiki. that I actually, I actually won it again the following year, but I was on the awards staff. And they were like, mm. we all just were like, and I'm, I don't need it again. So I'd actually want it again the next year. Yeah. I'm sure being a tech on the gang, you know, it wasn't really fun, but yeah, we'll move on from that. All right. So let's get into the election. So you get elected, you run on. I'm so what happens is let me fill in some gaps there. Hey, you fill in whatever you I want. Was a, I was a gang and drug detective. And in 2011, I just was uneasy. Like I just. I didn't like the direction the country was going. It was under Obama. I didn't like it. And I, di I could see what they were doing to law enforcement. And oh, so we're going to talk about that. We were, standing, we were standing there one day and I just, I said to the other guys, I was just like, you know what guys, I'm going to run for sheriff. And they're like, get out of here. Get the freak out of here. You're crazy. And I go, no, nah, man, I'm going to run for sheriff. And I didn't want to be the guy that bitched about things, but didn't, didn't do anything about it. I just don't like when people do that. So I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to, I was going to make the changes and do it. And look, I knew nothing about politics. I had been a law enforcement guy for seven years. Right. And you had to run a campaign. Like, and I'm like, I'm going to run for office. So this is 2011. It took me six months to get hired on. I didn't get hired on until mid 2012. So then I go to the County I took a $25,000 pay cut. I actually had to start another pest control business just to cover the cost of it. So I would work 12 hour shifts. I'd go home, sleep for three hours, and then I'd come back and work another. Look, yeah, and I'd I also want to point pests. out the pest control in Arizona is not like pest control in Ohio, right? They're not coming and spraying for like, you know, hornets and, and ants in your house. 
they got scorpions out there that are running around yeah. in your kitchen. Seriously, like you wake up to go get a drink of water. Next thing you know, eye to eye with a scorpion. Right. But he had, to, he had to take that pay cut and pick up the other job. And I know exactly why, because he had mentioned he has five kids. And I came from a family. <laughs> yes. I came, I'm the youngest of five. Well, and literally, if you didn't okay. eat, you didn't need. Right. But your problem is That's with right. your family is that a family of five and the money that should have been going to you your dad was buying guns. So that's the problem. That's the problem. It was a very, very interesting situation between him and my mom when it came down to that. But Sounds like you had a great, you had a great dad. Still do. Oh, yeah, still do. He's still around. He's a good dude. All right. So, I'm yeah, sorry. So, so I decide to do it. I go to the county. I'm there for a couple of years. And now it's like 2014, end of 2014. And I told my wife, I go, look, it's time to step away because if these guys find out I'm going to run, they're going to come after me. And so I decided to step away. I started a marketing company. I'm working in Utah and El Paso and all these places, just trying to put it to work because sometimes people think, Oh, he decided to run for sheriff and then he ran for sheriff and he won. No, man, there was a lot, a lot of tremendous sacrifice that my family and I did to do this just to get to the point where you could run. The sheriff that you ran that against, how long was he in? He had been there for eight years, but okay. I ran against his chief deputy because he, he and I'll, I'll lay that too. Mm -hmm. So now I'm running my business. And at the end of 2015, it was time to kind of make a decision. So I had read a bunch of articles. I saw that it wasn't going to be fun. People talk crap about you. And so I said, you know what? We I called my wife. That. I, was, <laughs> I was in Utah and I called my wife and I said, look. I'm not going to do it. It's not right. You know, I, I just, the business is good. I'm just going to do that. Maybe I'll run down the road. So for the next two days, I couldn't shake the feeling. I just felt like, man, all I could think about was sheriff, the running for sheriff. And so two days later, I call her, she picks up the phone and I just said, screw it. Let's do it. And so I have a very screw it. Let's do it attitude sometimes. And so I was just like, screw it. Let's do it. And so we started running and I knew nothing about politics. And so I gambled, I gambled on the fact that the guy that I was going to run against was going to run for Congress, but I was willing to run against the sitting sheriff, but I was banking on the fact that he would run for Congress. And then I would end up running against somebody like his chief deputy. And I was right. Shortly after I put in that I was running for sheriff, he put in, he was running for Congress and I ended up running against the chief deputy who had been here for eight years, but who had about 25 to 30 years experience in law enforcement. And so that's who I ran against. And that was in end of 2015. We were running all through 2016. Look, nobody thought I had a chance. I bet you the polling numbers look like shit, yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Listen, man, you're our people, right? Those are the people we like. We surround ourselves with people that don't have a chance. Out here in Ohio, we got Jonas Scholes running for Congress. And you listen to the media, not a chance. We just had Joe Blystone in here. He's a farmer. No political experience. You listen to the media, not a chance. Those are the people yeah. we surround ourselves with. And those are the people that we need in leadership positions now. People that aren't politicians, that don't pledge allegiance to the system. They're pledging allegiance to the people. That's who we need. So you get elected, and now here you are. You walk so in. So not only did I get elected, I beat the guy. And 95%. they kept saying, are you going to win? And I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm going to win. I would tell people I thought I'd win by 55, 45 in the primary. 
But amongst my close people, we thought we would win 60-40. Now, if you know anything about politics, that's, that is a that's a, that's a whooping. Yeah. And for somebody who wasn't even supposed to win, guess what I ended up winning in the primary? 64 to 36%. Oh, that was just in the primary. Slide. Yeah. That was the primary. Then I go on to the general, and I ran against the lady who had been here at the sheriff's office, and I said, I'm going to beat her by 20,000 votes. I beat her by 19,976 wow. votes. Which and is so, pretty huge, because I think Pinal County right now, the total population is 179. No, we're, we're, our population is 500,000, yeah, but our voter population as is of, about, oh, about 180,000. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. You're looking at voter population? I take that back. To, no, no, no. Gosh. I take that back. 2,000. Their population was 179,727. By 2010, yeah. they're at 375,770. In this county, we're about a middle to lower income county. So we honestly get a lot of red-blooded Americans who just want to so oh, yeah, you do. That's why you yeah. got elected. You're not getting the Silicon Valley. Right. He's not. Getting, right. He's not no, getting the Silicon Valley folks. snobs. Right. He's getting the, the blue collar. All right. So let's let's talk about. So day one, Sheriff Lamb walks in there. Everybody's looking either like, man, what's coming? There's a right? new sheriff in town. New sheriff in t- literally new sheriff in town. Right. So you walk yep. in there and you have your talk. You have your talk with the troops, and you're like, look, here's who I am. How's that talk sound? You know, I just walked in and I said, look, I do things different. I believe, uh, first and foremost, we are going to defend and protect the Constitution and the people's constitutional rights. Everything we do from here on out has to do with the people, um, being a good steward of the tax dollar, and promoting the brand. I said, I come from a marketing background. We're gonna, I'm going to push you guys to very uncomfortable levels. There, we're going to do things that as cops is going to make you very uncomfortable, but you have to trust that it's going to be what's best. And I said, and the other thing is, is I am the style of leader. If you're getting paid to do a job, I shouldn't have to do your job. I want you to do your job and I fully support you in how you do your job. I'm here to support you. I need you to do your job. And if you, if it gets out of line with the mission of the agency, then we'll correct it. But I want you to do it the way, your talents are best suited to you, and you have my support that, to do the job the way you do it. And so I've, I'm a very hands-off leader in the sense that I shouldn't have to do that. I gave you a gun and a badge. You get a bigger paycheck. Some of these guys get bigger paychecks than me. Um, I shouldn't have to tell you how to do the job. And so those are really the three things. So and, with your feelings on the Constitution, though, Right now, in a perfect world, if I was running a department, if I was a sheriff of the county, that nothing would come before the Constitution. When people are talking to me about the Constitution, there's always one instance that I think of. And I was sitting at the Ohio Turnpike gate onto 480, and a car drives by with Arizona plates, and it's not a rental car. comes back to a male, 70-some-year-old male. Well, there's no 70-some-year-old males in that car. There is a... Black male driving, there is a Hispanic male in the back seat, and there is a white female in the back seat, but nobody else in the front seat. So they go by me, nobody looks at me, and I'm like, man, something's not right here. I get behind them, and I've only got about a mile, mile and a half of highway before they're out of not only the city, but the county. And I'm following them. I'm doing everything I can, right? I'm pulling up on their left side, looking at them, dropping back, 
pulling up on their right side, looking at them, dropping back, trying to get my probable cause, never get it. So I let them go. I know something was wrong there, but the rules that I have to follow dictate that I can't stop them. The fourth amendment supersedes everything that I want to do that my every fiber of my being is telling me something is wrong there, but I can't do it. And I let them go. And I figure, you know what? There's going to be other dopers that I can catch later on. And you could have pulled some bullshit illegal lane. Sure, I could have. I could have. I could have said, you know what? Failure to signal. You were weaving. But you know what? I got to look myself in the mirror every day. I have to look myself in the mirror and know that I did the right thing. So my question is, how much does that play into your department? I know you want numbers. I know you need productivity. I get that. But how much does that play in? Are you like, look, nothing trumps the Fourth Amendment. Nothing trumps. And believe it or not, I don't care about numbers or productivity. I'll know if a guy's not doing his job and not responding to his calls. If you don't want to pull any traffic stuff, that's you. That's the way you decide to police. If you don't want to write any tickets, that's fine. I don't care. I want you to do the policing the way you feel like you need to do it. There's plenty of guys that will write out tickets all day long. Um, and so, like, I'm not about a numbers. What I'm about is is just protecting the community. And like you said, I thought your example is perfect. I remember when I was, I have a distinct thing, and I told myself I will never let it happen again. It was when I was a, um, a new officer. We had this car run from us on the res. They ended up crashing, and I was an OIT still, so I had an OIT for anybody listening is an officer in training. I had an FTO, a field training officer. The car crashes. I run over there, throw one of the guys to the ground, put him in cuffs. And when we stand up, like I'm patting the guy down. Right. And a Sergeant walks up and he's like, did you search him? And I was like, I patted him down. He's like, you need to search him. And I was like, well, I patted him down. And he's like, well, you need to search him. What's in his pocket. And there was nothing in there on the pat down that I should have been able to see fine. But in, and so I end up, cause I feel the pressure of this, this sergeant, I end up checking his pocket and I found a little baggie of cocaine. I never felt right about that. And I told myself again, I'll never do that again because it was an illegal search and seizure. I had no reason to get into his pockets at that point, maybe later once the arrest was affected. But at that point we didn't have an arrest. He was just being detained. I could do a pat down and that was it. And I went beyond that. And I said, I'm never doing that again in my head. And so I'm very cognizant of constitutional rights. Just the other day, we had a, we had the animal control is separate from the sheriff's office. So animal control called and said, Hey, I got to ask you, you're one of your guys responded to one of our calls. And we were asking for an ID from the person we were out with and they refused to give the ID. And when your deputy showed up, he didn't make him give us an, his ID. And we're like, yeah, because it's not a criminal matter. Right. It's a civil matter. And we have no reason to force him to give you his name and his ID. If he chooses not to give it to you, then that's it. And they're like, oh, you, you're not going to make him give it to us? And we're like, no. Every constitutional <laughs> cop in the country who is listening to this right now, every constitutional cop in this country has a story just like these. Sure. Every one of them has something that happened where they said, man, this isn't right. Man, I applaud you on that. 
Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to jump to the border now. We have. Oh, a, we're going to jump yeah, right into the border because because right, if I let you two keep talking about the Constitution, <laughs> not we'll, only the Constitution, we're going to be two cops talking about war stories. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, you know what? I made this stop one time for this OVI, 1996, 1996. All right, picture this. Right, this guy's left the center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and and, I, and I'm sorry if I'm interrupting your bro moment, uh, but. Uh, but, but I, that's listen, okay. all we'll I'm get, saying we'll, is we'll that forgive I, you. I think me and Sheriff Lamb are best friends. So He's that's all I'm take saying. my place on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Pod Bless America. I'm Jim and I'm Sheriff Lamb. That's yeah. I'll, I'll just add this little 20 second, 20 second thing on the constitution because okay. we're in a, we're in a day and age where they want you to believe that mandates and orders would supersede anything else. And it just isn't true. The constitution is the supreme law of the land. And it is what I swore an oath to defend. And I wish that every law enforcement officer had the same mindset that we're going to do what the Constitution says. So 100%. in the end, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Unless they change that, even if the law is repugnant to the Constitution, I'm going to always defend the Constitution. All right. So I do want to get into the border. But before we do that, since we're on the Constitution. Kamala Harris's border. Let's go. <laughs> Kamala Harris's border. Listen, she's been down there a bunch of times. She's got a good handle on it. She's a czar. Yeah, she's the she's the border czar, dude. Don't you disrespect her. What, are you trying to get us banned from Spotify? All right. So listen, obviously the big ones for law enforcement, First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment. Well, where are you on the Second Amendment? Oh, we didn't. Even, well, yeah, we could have. Yeah, where where I, you? I wanted to add that at the end, but let's let's hit it. Where am yeah. I at on the Second Amendment? Second Amendment on the Second Amendment. Do not give an inch on the Second Amendment. Millimeter. You cannot. But you're a law enforcement officer. Officer, why would oh, you I, say that? You know what I, do you want to deal with? Do you want to deal with people out there with guns? Like a well-regulated militia. <gasps> what? <laughs> Officer, when I pull them over, I say, do you have any drugs in the car? No. And I say, do you have any weapons in the car? And they say, no. And, and I you say, why not? Why not? You know what? <laughs> I was just going to tell you, they stole my thunder. That's always, that's my go-to line. In Ohio, we have a CCW uh, permit that you have to have. And people tell me, because they don't understand. As soon as I stop and they're like, I have a CCW permit. And I'm like, all right. Are you. you? Are you armed? And they said, no. And I'm always <laughs> like, why? I mean, you went through the class. That permit. You went through the class. You got the permit. Why don't you have a gun with you? But we have constitutional carry on the governor's desk right now. Best thing ever. You guys carry guns whenever you want, wherever you want, right? Arizona is a constitutional carry state. We made it that in 2010. Okay. Which means that if you if you are an American mm-hmm. and you are not a felon, you can carry a firearm concealed, open carry, however you want to carry it, and you do not need a permit. Perfect. So no permit needed. What are your training requirements? Anything? I recommend people train. But at the same time, it is their constitutional right to bear arms. And that's what I love about Arizona. I would have a tough time moving from Arizona because we have the best gun laws in the country. It always aggravates me that we have to pass a constitutional carry law to be able to carry constitutionally. <laughs> exactly. You know? It is true. Well, last thing I want to talk about constitution-wise. And Sheriff, this is probably a big one for you. Tenth Amendment, where are you at? Well, I mean, look, the Constitution on everything, I am in hook, line, and sinker. Like, so, no- so the federal government decides to come in, and no matter what it may be, say they're coming in to enforce mask mandates, say they're coming in to seize your citizens' guns, where are you at there? I mean, what are you willing to the do? Power, are you willing to stand the up? That, 
Oh, absolutely. The founding fathers set this country up to where the power is to the states. This is what the 10th Amendment is. So the states have the power. If the federal government came in here, I would stop anybody who came to steal, to take any guns. And I also have the ability to deputize or to make people part of my posse. And I would do that. I would say, hey, look, every law-abiding citizen, come on down here. I need them to have their guns, and therefore you cannot come in and take them. Look, I think that this country, if we ever go back into a civil war, will be because they pushed too far on the Second Amendment. Well, 100%. And when I think about running for sheriff, right, that is always the thing that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about my dream, right, where the federal government's coming down the road and they're like, we're going to take the guns in Lorain County. And there I am, right? It's like a, a Dukes of Hazard moment where I've got, I got three cars across the road. I'm standing there with a shotgun. I got my deputies behind me. I'm like, nope, boys, turn around, you know? And that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, but you got to be willing to put people in handcuffs, right? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take, the ATF comes in and says, look, we're taking the guns. Are you willing to put people in handcuffs at that point? I am willing to defend the Constitution, the people's constitutional rights. If that means putting people in handcuffs, and that's what it is. Perfect. I went to, and I was fortunate enough to spend a week at the Claremont Institute in California. Oh my gosh, this was, it was a week of just excellent training on the Constitution, the Founding Fathers, the rule of law, all of these things. And, you know, we had this conversation. I said, look, at one point, the way this country is pushing and the federal government is pushing, it's going to push to a point where the states are likely going to have to take a stand against the federal government on things like this. And so... Look, I hope that it never comes to this, and, and I, we have good federal partners down here, um, but I'm committed to the Constitution, the constitutional rights, and if that means standing in the way of the federal government, then I would do it. Did you get a chance to hear that clown on The View? His name was like Ellie Mistal. Well, I don't make a habit of watching The View. Well, yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, man. Uh-huh. Listen, listen. <laughs> yeah, listen. you got to know what they're doing. You got to keep your enemies close. You know? They had this keep guy, your friends they, close, they had your enemies this guy on, right? And he's supposed to be a, a, a constitutional scholar. Now, uh, I would like to point out... The, uh, the gray afro? The gray afro. Yeah. yeah. So I would yeah. like to point out that this guy is actually younger than me. He's 48 years old. He looks like my grandpa. <laughs> That's all. Uh, listen, I'm not saying anything bad about him. I'm just saying. Right, right. But but just for context, we're going to let the people hear what he said, and, and this is what he says. I will say, okay, so are you arguing for throwing out the Constitution? Should the Constitution be thrown out? What do we do? Is it a living document Is it a, or is it a sacred document? It's certainly not sacred. All right, let's start there. <laughs> the Constitution is kind of trash. Now, let's just, again, let's just talk as adults for a second. What did you say? It's what? It's kind of trash. Trash. It was was written by slavers and colonists and white people who were willing to make deals with slavers and colonists. They didn't ask anybody to look like me what they thought about the Constitution. Mm -hmm. They didn't say, oh, Jim, come over here. What do you think about this old Constitution? Well, Massa, I so don't like how you sell my children. (laughs) Um, But I gotta say, this King George, he needs to be stopped. My my grandpappy used to say, ain't no taxation without representation for... So this clown, if you listen to this, right, he's like, ah, Massa, I don't like the way you sell my children. Show me in the Constitution where it says we're allowed to sell children. You're you're telling me, okay... Not only that, he doesn't even know the Constitution. No, he does not. (laughs) Now... Now, now, hold on. Now, liberal media claims he's a constitutional scholar. But it's trash. The First Amendment's trash. Second Amendment's trash. Fourth Amendment's trash. You should know that the original draft of the Constitution that Thomas Jefferson wrote was to do away with slavery. 100% of those. 
what they what they wanted was a unanimous constitution that they could, and a declaration of independence that they could present to England. And so they didn't want to have a, a majority. They wanted a unanimous. And two of the 13 colonies at the time, which were South Carolina and Georgia, would not sign off on it with that condition in there. 100%. And so they removed that condition so that they could have a unanimous constitution. But the founding fathers, contrary to what he said, the, con the founding fathers were absolutely against slavery. And slavery they, was they, abolished in 80-some yes. years in this country. Look, we couldn't go in there. You couldn't do it immediately. You couldn't come in and say, all right, that's it. South, any slaves you have, right? Because, I mean, that's the way business was done at the time, right? They had a lot of money invested in that, whatever. They phased it out. Within 80 years, slavery's done, while the rest of the world still going strong. So don't sit here and come to me and tell me that this is a racist, you know, 1619 project, telling me that slavery's been here for 400 years. You know, don't come to me with this. This guy. And that's the dumbest project in the world. They, look, these folks write something and then they just push it out there like it's God. Well, they push like it out there with New York going. Times. Help. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. Do. That's the problem. And I'm sorry we even had to give that guy some shine, but I liked how Joey was like, wait, what'd you say it was? Like even it took her back. Yeah. She was like, "Wait, did, did, did you say the Constitution trash? was trash?" Okay, I guess we're going and, with it because she's not going to call him out. And that Constitution is a God-given document that has God's stamp of approval on it. It is a divine document, and for him to call it trash, shame on him. Well, and you know what? The reason I wanted to play it is this is what we're up against. This guy is teaching rising generations. That the Constitution is trash. And he's got the freedom to say it, right? He's got the freedom of speech. Sure he does. For sure. But sure there, need, there needs to be consequences to his actions. Just like you're free to say whatever yeah. you want to somebody, and if you get punched in the face, that's a consequence. Look, right? I'm telling you right now that if Ellie wants to come punch me in the face for saying that he looks like my grandpa, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I would be okay with it. Come on in here, Ellie. You know what? Sit down in our chair. Yeah. We can have a little talk, and then you can punch me in the face afterwards. <clears throat> can we get to Kamala Harris's border now? <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. Let's get to the border. Because it is a problem. Oh. It, it is a problem. It seems like America is, is seeing right away 100% that America wants to give more money to the country of Ukraine than they want to do with um, addressing our border by a magnitude of three times the money. I'm not saying there's not a problem that they're having right now in the Ukraine, but that is a real thing that people think that, hey, man, we, we, we got to tighten it up down there. I didn't even look the numbers up because I didn't want to be depressed about how many crossings there are and, and how, how much contact they're making. Well, I've got, I've got a guy that I'm trying to get on, man, but he's scared because he's still in Border Patrol, and he's scared he's going to lose his job. But I can assure you from what he tells me, and he is down there on the southern border, these people are coming in at will. They are getting put into air-conditioned vans. They're being driven to airports, and they're being flown all over the country. There is no stopping the flow coming into this country right now. It is an absolute open border, 100%. Porous. And let me just provide the statistics that support what you were just oh, saying. Oh, break, break my heart. On the average, last month, I'll just give you last month. Last month was just over 165,000 apprehensions. That's okay? just apprehensions. 53,000 gotaways, which means people they saw on cameras that were able to get away. So the 165, 53,000. 
give me a guess of how much they turned back. Well, I was just going to say, so you have all those apprehensions, but of those apprehensions, how many were turned back to Mexico? 10%. No, I think you were way high. If if 10 is the over under, I'm going under. For a percentage of 160,000? Yes, I would say, I'd say 6%. Well, technically it's, Technically, two hundred thousand, but turnbacks on the uh, on the one hundred sixty five thousand was eleven thousand six hundred and seventy. The and that is pretty much what the numbers are every month. You're in between about one hundred and fifty and one hundred eighty thousand apprehensions, which seems to be averaging more about one hundred sixty to one hundred seventy thousand. You're averaging about forty to fifty thousand gotaways, and every month they don't turn back, but. 11, 12,000 people. But not only are so they not America, turning them back, they're not just saying, look, you can walk into the country. They're putting them on planes. They're flying them into the interior. That, when do you think they are having their court date? Never. Well, so what they're, I, we were with Border Patrol the other night, and I, and I was just with Border Patrol this, this week out in Reno for the Western State Sheriff's Association as well. But I ran into a Border Patrol guy and ICE and all of them um, Border Patrol right now says that their court dates that they're giving to these people that are coming from Russia and all over the world is at minimum two years out. Wow. And typically it's between two and five years. To with no tracking. Somebody, no tracking. No tracking. It, uh, they're they not coming back in three say, months. They're not coming back in three years. I'll tell you that. Well, and they don't even have to come back in three months. They're saying, hey, come back and your court date is for two years from now. Um, and then to remove them is really more about a, about a six to eight year process before you can actually get somebody yeah. removed. So Put the 9-11 hijackers in this country for two years before they have their, their court date. And what happens? Right. You know what happens? 9-11. Yeah. 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 But it amounts to an invasion. Right, if it these, is an invasion. And these, by definition, listen, people want to think that, inv- I'll tell you right now, the President Biden is violating... Uh, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution on a routine basis where he has to protect the states from an invasion. And people think that an invasion is like Red Dawn shit, right? Or you got to have guns. Where the Russians are are jumping in and they're shooting people. And, you know, that is not an invasion. What is happening right now is an invasion. And he is not protecting Texas. He's not protecting Arizona. He's not protecting California. He's not protecting New Mexico. He is allowing this invasion to happen. But you know what? Like everything else, he's going to get away with it. There is nobody that's going to stop him. No, that's right. I mean, we're doing the best we can as sheriffs. We just wrote this week, uh, Western State Sheriff's Association, we wrote a letter of no confidence. It sounds kind of futile, but we wrote a a letter of no confidence um, for Mayorkas and for Kamala Harris, cackling Kamala. Um, we I, find wrote that, I find that hard to believe. You know, you know you're talking about the czar of the border, right? The border czar. You need to show yeah, some respect, Sheriff. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> She's the czar of the border. <laughs> and just going back to I want to say a few things about the border because I don't know if you guys are going to ask these questions or not. I want you to say me, But I'm just going to I'm just going to jump into it. For any of your listeners out there, this is not a political issue. It should not matter whether you are a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent. If you care about human beings, you should absolutely care about border security. The cartel are abusing people on a daily basis. They rape the women. We had a lady we caught in our helicopter people found not too long ago. Um, She had a baggie of pills in her backpack. So it was about 50 pills. We're like, well, what are these pills? 
And she's, uh, she says, well, when I was going to cross the border, I knew that I would get raped multiple times. So these are morning after pills. Oh. Like when in America did that become okay under the name of politics? Because politically it works for them. Now we allow that. That's so un-American. They use the children as pawns, children who they steal and purchase at the threat of violence on the other side of the border. They cast them aside like a used pair of shoes when they get here. They extort the men and force the men to carry drugs in this country. Eight of 10 women who come across the border, they estimate eight of 10 women are raped and 50% of gays and transvestites who come across the border are raped. This is not the American way. And anybody who condones this under the name of politics because the president you voted for is okay with these open borders, honestly, you need your moral compass checked. So you talk about the president you voted for. Let's talk about your relationship with Donald Trump, who should have been the president of the United States right now is Donald Trump. What are the differences now? Were there true differences in border security under Donald Trump than under Joe Biden, or were these just talking points from the Republicans? They're not talking points. And, you know, it, it infuriates me to see the left and the media spin it as talking points. They literally, and I'm not just saying this. I did. I supported President Trump. I thought he was a great president. I thought he loved America. I thought he was, he was the guard dog that we needed um, in a world full of, of, of wolves trying to eat the sheep. He was that guard dog, that sheep dog that we needed. And, you know, people were offended. And I always tell people, I've never been to a junkyard where there was a dog with no teeth guarding it. You know why? Because the dog with no teeth does no good. Yeah, that dog may nip at you and bite you and bark at you. But you know what? Nobody's getting into the junkyard. Now we got some senile old dog sitting up on the front porch with no teeth that is allowing anybody and everybody to come in and rob the junkyard. And the border is, is a major problem. I don't know if you heard or not, but Joe Biden's the only one who's ever gone toe-to-toe with Putin. So yeah, that's what he said. Gosh. Joe Burden. Joe well, Burden. He's getting, his, he's getting his ass handed to him, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, um, well, well jo- Putin's no corn pop. <laughs> hey, man. He was a bad dude. Listen, so they, they literally turned the, the lights off of communication. They literally stopped the building of the wall overnight. The wall that you and I, as taxpayers, continue to pay for. They literally shut that down overnight. We have had no communication, nobody of significance. Look, I don't want to say we have communication with our local border patrol chiefs and those guys, but nobody like from the higher ups in the in Washington that we used to have an audience with as sheriffs and as law enforcement across this country on how we protect this country, how we protect our borders. That line of communication got turned off overnight. And immediately we started to see a major shift in the amount of trafficking of humans and drugs. We didn't even talk about drugs yet. When you're ready to talk about that, I'll blow your mind with some of the things we're going to be facing as Americans. Well, we're worried I, about COVID. Listen, you, you joke. Uh, I, I mean, I think me and Dan consider you a friend of the podcast now, so we may be calling you when we want to talk about drugs, when we want to talk about whatever. <laughs> yeah, we've already had our War on Drugs podcast, if you go back and listen to that. Fentanyl is not even a class one. Isn't that crazy? Weeds a class one, yeah. fentanyl is not. Come on, let's let's get real here. Schedule, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Schedule one, and, and fentanyl, yeah. fentanyl will be the plague, the scourge, the epidemic that Americans will face. And I'll be honest with you, states like Ohio, you are the prime target sure. for the cartels for methamphetamine and fentanyl. Mm-hmm. It's not. People think, oh, poor Arizona and Texas, boy, they sure have it rough. I got a newsflash for all of you. 
those people are not staying here, it, their, their product, which is people and drugs, is not designed to stay in Arizona. I watched a video the other day, and they were interviewing guys walking by, and they were asking everybody where they were going. And one person said California. Two people said Florida. Nobody said Arizona or Texas. Every single one of them was Nebraska, Illinois, Ohio, mm-hmm. Midwest, uh, Colorado, Nevada, every single one of them other than three. Um, and that tells you this is not our problem. This is America's problem. And the appetite for fentanyl and methamphetamines in the Midwest tends to be and has over the, over the years historically been greater in those states than it is here. Yeah, and they really they really have to put these people either to death well, or in jail for a long time for having the fentanyl if they want to get serious about yeah. it. And the last thing on the border here, I mean, what can you do, though, as a sheriff, right? You stop these guys. Are the feds going to help you? I mean, what are you going to do with them? You're not going to well, put the them in local, vans and drive them back. No, the local level, we can't. There is no law that allows us to do that. The local feds are great to work with. They come in, they help us, they do all that. If we turn them over to them, what's happening is they take them over to their station, they process them and release them into our communities. And that whole thing where they caught that flight coming into Cal- uh, New York or whatever, look, I'll be honest with you, they've been bussing and flying people for, for the last year. And like my mom says, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> if you're flying people in at 2.30 in the morning, you know you're doing something wrong. Oh, yeah. And they know they're doing something wrong. The only way that they keep... Yeah. So my first you FTO told me, man, there's only two people on the road at 2.30 in the morning, cops uh-huh. and crooks. They also say democracy <laughs> dies in darkness. Well, all right. Yes. <laughs> they're letting two million people in a year. The only way you hide that from the American people, the only way, is to reuse to distribute those people throughout America. You're allowing the amount of people that live in, I heard today, it's three times the population of Boston. So you're allowing three times the population of Boston to come in every year into this country. The only way you don't have Americans throwing a fit is you dilute it. And you know, you'll never convince me otherwise. These people are not going to liberal states. These people are going to conservative states where they will now vote Democrat. Well, they will say, hey, look, Joe Biden, let me in this country. I'm going to vote for Democrats. You know, they're going to the North Dakotas. They're going to the Alabamas and to the Georgias and to the Florida. Mm-hmm. That's where they're going. They're not going to California. Can I, can I rephrase what you just said just a hair? Sure. It's not that they're going. Your government is sending them there. Well, fair. Ouch, that hurts. That hurts my heart. Ow. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> I tell, right? you, I tell you what, I tell you what, I don't even want to laugh. You guys are funny and you're making me laugh at something that now I feel like Kamala Harris laughing at times. <laughs> cackling. Laugh. Jesus. Well, we we're do- not going to title this the cackling sheriff. I yeah. promise you. Well, no. Well, I, since the border is so bad, both with uh, illegal immigration and drugs, we we probably need some Jesus in our lives. And uh, just so people get to know you a little better, uh, you, you are a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. From, from what yeah. I read here, and, and maybe you don't know, but about 48 miles from where we are northeast is a town called Kirtland, which was the home oh, yeah. the, the home base of that religion before they took that trek out west. 
Before we got driven out. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I wouldn't say driven out. I think they had, they needed to go a little bit further away from people. So in this podcast, I'm the emotion guy and Dan is the like fact checking. He's the research guy. And if you ever want to come out to check out that town, you you let us know because we'll have you in studio. I do want to. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming to Ohio on the 24th. Where? I'm going to Toledo. I'm the MC for the National Law Enforcement Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Wait, what? Can you fly out of Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> can you fly? It's only an hour and a half away. Dude, I may have a location in Toledo. We can stop in and do the podcast. Dude, I'll me. take this roadcaster with me. I'll pack everything up. I'm, I'm flying into a beautiful little town called Detroit. Oh, yeah, yeah. flying to Detroit. Nice. You know what? There's other towns you can fly into. Well, no, I got a guy in Michigan. Oh, oh fly into. You're not staying there. I got no. a guy in Michigan. and uh, I got uh, a girl in Michigan. Yeah, we can. <laughs> no, not that girl. <laughs> no, not that girl. We'll tell, um, we'll tell you off air. Yeah, we'll tell you off air. We're supposed to be talking religion here, and now we're off target. No, 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 no. It's not that kind of girl. It's, it's my not, sister. It's his sister. It's my sister, and oh, she is a raging liberal. She'll never be on this podcast. Yeah, no. No, she won't. Uh, we get along great. I love her, but she is just a, uh, yeah, she's a strong girl. I give her a hard time, and, and she gives it back to me. I don't think we're speaking right now because <laughs> of a really back. good joke I hit her with. Come back. But, yeah, but let, let's get back to the old Church of Latter-day Saints so you can just touch on your religion for a minute before we move on to your book. So look, I, religion is a big part of my life. I believe I'm a very God-fearing person. I believe in God, Jesus Christ. What I love the most is freedom. And I believe that everything about God is about freedom and liberty, freedom of choice, the ability to make those choices for ourselves, whether we ruin ourselves or whether we exalt ourselves. One of the two, that choice was given to us. I think it's a godly principle. And so it kind of really helps govern my life. Now, Whatever religion, I support the majority of the religions, but I support everybody's right to have the religion they want. And I believe that you have to have an anchor in your life. And I think that having a good religion, a good base, a good belief in God is, is probably one of the best anchors that I've seen, especially in this profession that keeps you grounded, keeps you focused, keeps you being able to process the things that we see that nobody else should see, but we see it over and over again. Um, the only way you make it through that is having a good anchor, a good foundation. And for me, um, my religion, my faith in God and Jesus Christ has been what's guided me through all that. And I feel like the name of your book really uh, holds true to everything you're saying because it's called American Sheriff, Traditional Values in a Modern World. Yeah, I believe, I think that we've lost touch with the traditional values that built America, that made America great for so long, that made us the greatest country on earth our ability to have success and to invent and all these different things, I believe we're done by good traditional values. And we've gotten away from this in this modern world. Not only have we gotten away from them, this modern world wants to minimize and demonize those same values and traditions that this country was built on. And that's so good. Did you learn anything when you wrote the book or did, did you see that in a whole different light when you had to put the work into that book? I did. You know, I started writing it because I did. we did Live PD. We did 60 Days Man. I was a co-host on Live PD Wanted. So I would go everywhere and people would say, well, I want to know more about you. And so I thought it was a good opportunity to write a book that people could find out more about me, but at the same time, have some type of message in it. And so the message was to talk about traditional values. I talk about the fact that life is not easy. Life is going to kick you around and 
uh, kick you in the face over and over again, and you can survive it. Um, I talk about things don't always work out. I talk about family issues. I think that no success can compensate for failure in the home. I talk about my love of America and how I got that. Uh, so I just, I mean, I tried to just talk about a lot of different things that, that have made me the person I am. And hopefully somebody can find some type of, I don't know whether they, you know, agree or maybe it touches their heart in some way. I, really in the end, my wife and I both wrote books and we did it because we're normal people trying to do great things. And we wanted other normal people to feel like that they can try to do great things as well. All right. So and I'm not so going to lie. I have not else. read this book. I have not bought this book. After Conversation's hearing... over. I'm hanging up. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> after hearing you talk. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks. Uh, after hearing you talk, you have my word. You have my word. I'm going tonight and I will buy this book tonight. Where do you buy this book? So you can get it on Amazon. You can also order it off of sheriffswife.com. You can also order it off of americansheriff.com. Now, americansheriff.com used to be where you get the book. Now it is actually the American Sheriff Network, the home of the American Sheriff Network. Uh, but you can still buy the book there. But uh, the quickest way, the best way, probably um, the sheriffswife.com. Sheriffswife.com. That was also the name of her yeah. book. Is that correct? Yeah. Hers is an expose. Nice. No, nice. I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the book. You know what? I take back everything I said. I'm not buying yeah. your book. I'm buying her yeah. book. <laughs> well, her book is better. <laughs> you know, her book is, her book is really good for anybody whose spouse is in law enforcement or politics. Her book is called the sheriff's wife holding it all together behind the scenes in politics. No. And just so because times, I, just because I'm having trouble sometimes, is it sheriff's life or sheriff's wife, wife. W? With a W. Sheriff's wife with a W. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sheriffswife.com. You brought up the Live PD and you're talking about the American Sheriff's Network. I feel like they canceled Live PD at its height. Do you agree well, with that? Well, they did because of everything that was going on. Same thing. Well, same reason I, they canceled cops. Just, yeah. Let's talk about I, the war on police. Yeah, so the, this country was built on the rule of law. The founding fathers in the preamble to the Constitution said, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. It was the very first thing the founding fathers did. James Madison in the Federalist Papers under the pseudonym of Publius, he wrote, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. But the founding fathers understood that men were not angels. You needed a rule of law to make this country great. This republic to thrive and to succeed needed a rule of law. And so the rule of law is the most important thing to the survival of America. And these folks who want to undermine it. Now, mind you, in 2020, they didn't lie to you. They did, but they, in this sense, they didn't lie to you. This is one of the places they didn't lie. They said they wanted to reinvent America. To me... That set off all the alarms I needed to hear. Because when you talk about reinventing something, it means you tear it down and redo it. And the way you have to tear America down, and this is part of the border issue, it's all together. The way you tear America down is you undermine the rule of law. You put in bad prosecutors, bad judges who don't hold people accountable, who it's a revolving door. You put in bad sheriffs, which luckily they haven't been able to really infiltrate that as much. They're getting us on the backside. You also say things like, we're not going to hold you accountable unless you steal over $1,000 worth of goods. 
or wait, you're not talking. Are you talking about Nancy Pelosi's district? <laughs> How dare you talk about the Speaker of the House like that, sir? We will not tolerate that stuff. <laughs> Have you seen her ice cream collection? (laughs) Have you seen? (laughs) Sir, she is a collector of ice cream. (laughs) Exotic. How do you you even collect collect ice cream? Because you have so much money. Yeah, exactly. Because your insider trading game is so good. (laughs) So uh, so what what I had said is, is, is they canceled Live PD way too prematurely. They could probably run it again, but you have your show coming out now, and you're calling it the American American Sheriff Sheriff Network. Network. Yeah, we've been down for a couple months because we're working on a change. Let me say this about it. Hey, folks, Sheriff Lamb here. Welcome to the American Sheriff Network. Sheriff's office. Now we know you've been missing your ride-alongs. Well, guess what? We're gonna get you back in the front seat. Hey. And we're gonna show you a little bit of America while we're at it. America. Attention all waterway units. We're taking report about possible drowning. So yeah, (laughs) what is up with this? Because I'll tell you right now, Take my eight ninety nine a month or whatever I have to give you. It's only four ninety nine. Oh, it's half price, Eddie. Half price. You know what? I could pay for it twice at two different locations now. Wow, let's not get too carried away. <laughs> we got a podcast to pay for. Exactly. So, if the American Sheriff Foundation wants to support the Pod Bless America, yeah. But I, but I'm telling you, Jim wants to get more constitutional conservative sheriffs on this podcast. So we're probably going to use you as a contact to get more on because we've had one, you are second. I would love to do one a month. I think it would be awesome just to it get would their, be awesome. just to get their you know perspective what though, seriously, from I, all across the, the I country. I know you looked it up. I mm-hmm. want to know about this network. I do. About his network that yeah. he's putting out? Yeah. So Sheriff, what is going on with this? Because that trailer, whew, that teaser. Gets you excited, bud. Hot. Yeah. And look, we have a bunch of episodes up there. We do some howdy pieces where we're constantly trying to figure out what they, what people want to see. But we did it because law enforcement needs a voice. And when they took Live PD off the air, now cops have come back, but they took Live PD off the air and they took away the voice. And the, what we thought, what better way to do it than to actually have highlight the sheriffs across this country. Your sheriffs are your guys that are out there protecting the Constitution that are elected by the people. And so we thought we would do um, showcase the sheriffs and, and it's been great. We're actually working with another company to try to take it to the next level. We really want to do live and we think we can do live this year. If it so was we me, kind of fill that void of live PD. What are the chances <clears throat> that I could get you guys to contact Sheriff Stevens in Seneca County, Ohio? Because I love this guy. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. do. I do. Let's do it. I, I love him. So I ran a page before I did this called the Everyday Constitution. And what it was was just basically we read the Constitution kind of like a Bible study. All right. So I figured that people weren't reading the Constitution. We started this group. I figured it would be five or six people. Turns out to be, I mean, like what? 20. Well, 600 joined the group. But then, yeah. yeah. But then every week we would have 20, 30 people who would show up just to read the Constitution. And we read it from word one until the very last signer. And uh, the Everyday Constitution, actually, when Sheriff Stevens got on, sent 100 copies of the pocket Constitution to Sheriff Stevens to give out to his men. And he was more than willing to do that. Yep, we had him on, and he was the one that that told the federal government, you know, 
hey, you're going to have to take your isotainies back if, if you want to do these mandates. And I don't think he was, you know, he wasn't bullshit. And I think he would have did it. So he didn't have to, luckily. It worked out for him. So this is exciting what you're doing with this network. I also think, I mean, this may be a little too much, maybe for your network, but for, if I'm doing this shit, I'm putting the camera on here, the here we go. I'm putting the camera on the border and letting people see how how porous it is. Like you, there's a here's the problem. Like you can see the videos that the media wants you to see. Just put a like, live cam up. Just put a live yeah live cam spot, up where they're right? coming across. Right. right. Give me fifty live cams. Do you know why we didn't do that initially? Because the government we was like, do don't do that to us. Exactly. Because <laughs> no, the no. government was like, we're I not going to give you any highway funds. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out, I don't follow directions too well. <laughs> And by the way, you said it right there. It's all about the money. They've given so many people money over this last COVID, over the two years. That's the only power they hold over the states or any of the communities or law enforcement is there is the money. We didn't do it initially because I didn't want people. You see how they look at me already. They think that I'm just some far right wing person, which is crazy. I mean, I love this country. and I love the Constitution. I love freedom. If that makes me far right wing, then so Sounds be it. racist um, to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, we did it because we didn't want to turn anybody off and make them think that it was just political. Sure. So we wanted to showcase other parts of the country. You know, we did it. We did a couple of Arizona agencies. We did it in Maryland. We did Nevada. Um, we're going to be going out to California. But I'm not even talking about showcasing. Could you not on your network just have a live feed? going you know what i like now i see what you're saying and yes i do actually like that there's right, there's, right. there's nothing so political can... about showing the american yeah. people hey, look. that the government is not doing the one job i need them to do right so look here's here's reno right we love reno here's seneca county we love seneca county but whenever you want to click on this cam and for an hour Count oh, how many people it. come across, <laughs> even if it's night vision. I, I mean, think that's great. There's apps that can probably count them for you. Hell if you yeah. run this app right. Dude, you know? listen, I will count them for you. One <laughs> bottle of Elijah Craig a month, and I will count them for you and put the numbers up. <laughs> I'm going to do that. He's going to need more I'm Elijah Craig. <laughs> Yo, hold on. We're going to have to renegotiate my contract. <laughs> yeah, one bottle's not enough. <laughs> one bottle's not enough. <laughs> I'm going to drink myself to death watching this happen. <laughs> Uh, all right, so moving on real quick, we got to end this thing eventually. I mean, this is going to be an eight-hour episode, for Christ's sake. I want to talk about real quick the AmericanSheriffFoundation.com. What is it? What are you doing? What do you hope to accomplish? Go. So, you know, I just wanted a way to give back. The government is very cumbersome. You can't do things very fast. This gave me the ability to help people. We do shop at the sheriff. We, we've bought cars for single moms, groceries. We've helped you know, uh, handicapped children. We've helped officers in need when they've gone through tough times. We, we really, our mission is to bridge the gap between communities and law enforcement. And so that's what we do. So American um, Sheriff Foundation and, is your nonprofit that you started. Yeah. Yeah. Can you put some extra money in the budget for gasoline for all your cars? Right? Take it from there Man. because I don't think you're going to get any extra in the year from your fifty million dollar budget. Is it fifty three? So, I mean, yeah, fifty three million dollar budget, and they have you on last year's gas prices. 
So if you guys go to americansheriffoundation.com, the About Us is the American Sheriff Foundation is the only non-for-profit foundation that is truly dedicated to restoring the faith and goodwill between our communities and the men and women that serve as first responders at a time when our country is divided in its support for law enforcement. And I think that is huge. There's not enough organizations out there that are trying to truly bridge the gap. Politics aside, Law enforcement every day is going out there, man, to serve their communities. And the media could try to spin it how they want. I know thousands of law enforcement officers, and I don't know one who is truly a racist, who truly hates his community. Every single guy I know is out there every single day doing the job for the reason that he got on that department in the first place. It's so cliche. People ask you, you know, when you go to your oral board and they say, well, why do you want to do this job? Well, when you say to help people, everybody rolls their eyes. But most of the guys that I know, all the guys that I know, they are out there to help people on a day-to-day basis, right? They're stopping for the mom that's on the side of the road with a flat tire, right? They're, I mean, they're there to help people. I've seen guys spend their own money on groceries for, for single moms, like you said, but that's not reported. What's reported is hey, these cops just shot this black guy who only had a knife. Why would you shoot a guy with a knife? Why wouldn't you pull out a knife or why wouldn't you try to disarm them? Racist cops. That's all you see. So to have a foundation like this, that's truly trying to bridge the gap. I figure Sheriff Lamb went to his oral board and was like, I plan on being rookie of the year. You know, uh, I plan on being officer of the year, my first year after rookie of the year. I'll probably be detective of the year. I'll probably get some gang unit awards. Very, um, that is very first oral board. And, and, then, like, and, like, then gonna, and then I'm going to run for sheriff and win. Exactly. First oral board, he's like, listen, bitches, y'all going to work for me here in the next 10 years. You, you, and they're like, well, this guy seems full of himself. We're going to give him a shot. <laughs> Man, I don't even remember. That makes me think, what did I say in my oral Just board? Oh, you know what? I, I remember know. one question. When I went in 1993, I went to my oral board, and the he was a captain at the time, and asked me, if you stopped your mother, would you give her a ticket? And I remember sitting back, and I was thinking, what do they want me to say? And I looked yeah. at him, and I said, I don't know what you want me to say, but no, sir. I would not. My mom has done so much for me. She can do whatever she wants out here. And he I'm was not, like, that's a good answer. Right. Brian. Well, I got hired. So that's great. Well, there yeah. was that's great. Yeah. I was scared to death. I'm like, I don't know what they want from me. Was, Damn. Oh. Damn. <laughs> I so. remember they're like, what are your tenure goals? And I was like, to be better than I was for my first five. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to, to, Real deep, right? To have more days that I'm working with pay than without. I don't know. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> ask these questions. You know nothing about the job yet. If you haven't done the job. Exactly. <laughs> I do remember the quote that I used and, and I used it in my oral board and I used it in the academy. And my quote was from Edmund Burr. It says, for evil to prevail, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. And that's and that's kind of what I still live by. Like my mantra in the book you'll see is fear not, do right. By the way, that's copyrighted. So but it's uh, fear not, do right. <laughs> wow. And I'm sure you live every day like this uh, George Washington quote that you put on your Facebook page. 
prepare for the worst and hope for the best and do your duty and trust God for the rest. That's right. And was a poet. And I got know corrected. It. Somebody's like, somebody's like that. George Washington didn't say that. So it was actually a guy named Captain McPherson, but George Washington did say it to, there was a general named Mad Anthony, Mad Wayne, Anthony Wayne or Mad Wayne Anthony. And that guy, he sent that letter to him. And at the very end of the postscript, he put, as a quote from Captain McPherson, George Washington wrote to Jet Matt Anthony. Right. That quote. Because he liked it um, so much, right? Because he, he yeah. understood it. I'll tell you something other cool about Matt Anthony is they were in a battle for standpoint and it wasn't going well. Matt Anthony actually got shot in the head and they wrapped his head up. He's like, no, 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 let's keep going. They were gonna, you know, talking about pulling back and he's like, no, no, keep going. They finally overtook it, and at 2 a.m., he wrote a letter to George Washington. He wrote a note, and I can't remember the first line, but it just says, Sandpoint is ours, said something else, and then he said, the men fought, they fought like men determined to be free, and I love that. Like, I think that embodies, uh, you know, that spirit of old that, we need now more than ever. They fought like men determined to be free. And I looking around and that I that day is coming to people. No, what that are day you is coming to do. That day is coming. Yeah, it's coming. You are going to have it's to decide here. where where you are. You're going to have to decide yeah. whether you are comfortable being on your knees or if you want to stand as a free man. And you're going to have to decide. And you're going to have to decide what yeah. you're willing to sacrifice for this. Depends on my, it depends on my back's feeling that day. You know, I got, I got a bad back. <laughs> yeah. Listen, man. All right. So the uh, last thing I just want to say here is I don't have any tattoos. I don't have one. Me neither. I was in the military. I've been a policeman for 29 years. I don't have one tattoo. But there's always one that I wanted to get, right? One of my favorite quotes is from George Orwell. And he says, people sleep peaceably in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready <laughs> to do violence on their behalf. And that is police, right? You don't want to know what we do. You want us to go out and do something. You want us to keep you safe, but you don't want to know how we do it. And when you see how we do it, then you want to complain about it, right? Then you want to come on and you want to virtue signal and you want to say, I would have never done it that way. social workers. You know what? You would have never done it that way because you didn't have the balls to stand up and do it. You want me to come do it for you. I'm doing it. I'm keeping you safe. Don't start questioning how I'm doing it. As long as I'm working within constraints of the law, don't come to me and tell me that I'm doing it wrong. So the tattoo that I've always wanted. Was, the, never, was the Hollow Notes tattoo from 1979. You're such an asshole. You know what? You can't be serious. You can never be serious. But that Hollow Notes picture, we got to look it up on our Facebook page and, and see it. Uh, it's okay. great. So listen, gotta, the tattoo that I, I wanted. I love that quote. Well, the tattoo that I wanted. I want a thin blue line. I want a blue line around my arm. Okay. And I want it to say, rough men stand ready. That's it. Okay. That's the tattoo I've always wanted. So if there's any tattoo artists who are good, don't listen. If you're bullshit, don't come to me with this. But if you're good and you want to donate this to me, let me know. And then I'll come out and get can it. We, can we do a live stream of you getting it? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll cry. Don't be a boozy. I'll be a bitch. I'll be a bitch. <laughs> I have no tattoos either. Zero. This thing has gone longer than I anticipated. Not me. <laughs> Dan's like, listen, I got four more things to talk about. 
I just want to remind everybody that his book, American Sheriff, Traditional Values in a Modern World, is probably something you should read, and it's important. All right. I'm, to I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say- You always what, do I try to one-up me. Listen, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say it on this podcast. We've talked about a book club before. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it right now that me and you should buy this book. Our listeners should buy this book, and we are going to talk about it on future podcasts. Yeah, next time we have a yeah, you let me know, and I'll come back on, and we'll. we'll oh, I know like you will. No, listen. Q and A on the. Uh, I don't think you understand. Book. You don't have a choice. <laughs> we're <laughs> seriously like stalk, we're stalker level right now. We're best, you, we're best friends. We're best friends. You just don't know it. If we're you BFFs. don't come back on, well, we're coming we got, to your house. We got tons we can talk about too. So. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. So listen, this thing went longer than I thought it was going to go. Never thought it was going to go this long. We want to give you the last word here. So this is yours yep, until you yours. stop talking. The floor is yours, sir. You know, I think that in this world of chaos, you have to remember, I'll give you the three things I tell people all the time. I tell people, one, be authentic. This world is hungry for authentic people. This world needs leaders. Not everybody wants to be great. It needs people that want to be great. But we all have different DNA, different irises, different fingerprints. That was by design. God sent each and every person here with a different set of skills and talents, and it's your job to share it with the world. So number one, be authentic. Number two, don't be afraid to do the uncomfortable work. We've been fortunate as Americans to live in a country where you didn't have to do a lot of uncomfortable things. And nobody likes doing uncomfortable things. But when you're willing to do those uncomfortable things, it will set you apart. If I walk into a room, 10 people in there, I know that I don't have to worry about eight of them. They don't, they're not going to bring the work ethic. I don't really only have to worry about two of them maybe. and I have to outwork those people. Yeah, maybe. Now, this day and age, I might not have to worry about any of them. <laughs> so number two, don't be afraid to do the uncomfortable work. And one of the most important things is number three, surrender the outcome. Uh, depression, anxiety, and unhappiness in this world come from people who are trying to control an outcome that you just don't have any control over. And as the world gets more and more chaotic, you realize you have less and less control. So find out what your span of control is and control what you can control, whether it's your house, your job, if you're a sheriff of the county, whatever it is, control what you can control. There's what's these called flashbangs. And when I speak, I always talk about this. I say, look, you there, you got these flashbangs and what they are is they're like little grenades and we throw them in a house and it, it has a bright light and a loud noise and percussion and it discombobulates people and it makes it easy for us to come in and overwhelm you and take control as law enforcement. Well, we've been flashbanged. As a society, we've been flashbanged. You've got to get your wits back about you and regain control. and Don't get caught up in the things that they want you to focus on. Don't get caught up in the chaos of the world. You can't control it anyway. And so I love this quote, and I'll leave you with this quote. It's from the end of the book of As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. And in there he says, Keep your hand firmly upon the helm of thought. In the bark of your soul reclines the commanding master. He does but sleep. Wake him. Self-control is strength. Right thought is mastery. Calmness is power. Say unto your heart, peace be still. Everybody listening has somebody, a commanding master in you. You need to wake him up and you need to get him up to the helm of the ship to navigate these difficult waters. I'll share one more thing. My, last, my favorite scripture, I'll share this and I'm done. And it's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
It says, wherefore, seeing we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was placed before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'll leave it there. Perfect. That's some good stuff right there. Listen, man, that was the best last word we've ever had, for real. (laughs) You know what? It was better than I thought it was going to be. Seriously. Just as awesome as I thought it would be. (laughs) Well, yeah, 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 you I'm, always think everything's going to be I'm awesome. The You're the optimist. optimist. I'm the pessimist. I'm like, ah, Sheriff Lamb's going to He's going to suck. But he didn't suck. That was incredible. We should all be so lucky. And we said this about Stevens. We should all be so lucky to have a sheriff like this in our counties. That is the guy right there. When you're talking Red Dawn shit, I mean, I know that's Russians, but when the federal government comes, yeah. that is the guy right there. That's going to save you. And this constitutional approach is actually growing rather than shrinking now in our lifetime, and I'm glad to see it. Oh, 100%. All right. So listen, man, as always, we appreciate you guys. We love the support. We love all the shares, all the reviews that you're giving us. Every one of them matters to us, right? You can find us on Facebook at Pod Bless America. And you can find us on Twitter at Jim and Dan Show. You can find us on Getter at Pod Bless America. You can reach out to me at Jim at PBAPodcast.com. And you can find me at Dan at PBAPodcast.com. So until next time, I'm Jim. And I'm Dan. And Pod Bless America.